Glorious Father, we want to thank you. We want to bless you. We want to bow before you. You are our God. We are your children. You are redeemed children. You have shed your blood for us. You have bought us with your precious blood. And that is more precious than anything we can think of, O oh Lord. Lord, you have revealed yourself in the word. As we study the word of God, I pray you will minister to us. Speak to each one of us. Spirit of God, help us to know you more and more. Take control of this entire session. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We, we have so far, we have seen the definitions of wisdom and knowledge, and uh, I've given you the virtues. When we say wisdom, it is not just one component, it is several other components which makes uh, wisdom. The Hebrew hokma means it is quite large, not the way we think as one aspect, several aspects. I'm not going to get into that. Then we said that this, this wisdom comes through revelation because wisdom was by God's side when the foundations of the earth were laid. <clears throat> it was by wisdom God created this world. And wisdom took delight when man was created. Wisdom had a smile on, on our face because wisdom is personified as the woman. So wisdom had a smile on her face when man was created. And wisdom was there even before the creation of the world. And we can only understand this by revelation. Revelation is required. And we saw as to what's meant by uh, general revelation and special revelation. I have given you examples. Uh, not going to um, get into that. And then we saw that uh, the third one is inspiration. How does God mediate this revelation? How can we know this wisdom? And we were briefly touched about uh, Proverbs chapter 30, where King Agar is talking about uh, these questions. And uh, he makes it very, you know, uh, he makes it very clear that God's special revelation in scripture. And that's what he says in 35, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. In other words, he says, God reveals himself through the word of God. It is not we read the Bible, we encounter God in reading the Bible. Uh, that's, that's what Agar says, and that's what um, that this is towards the end of the book, that is Proverbs 30. How about the beginning? You know, Solomon in the, in the opening chapter itself, he says that, you know, if you want to attain wisdom, he makes it very clear. In chapter one, he says in verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, both in the beginning as well as the end, 
we see that God is the one who reveals wisdom. And the word of God has come to us through inspiration. And it is important for us. God used wisdom as an instrument to create the world. If the world is so beautiful, we can imagine how more beautiful is the wisdom because God used wisdom as an instrument to create the world, but not as an instrument to reveal wisdom. God used wisdom as an instrument to create the world, but not as an instrument to reveal wisdom. Uh, why I say that as we go further down, you'll understand this. Uh, because in Proverbs 3, 19 to 20, it says, by wisdom, the Lord lays the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. It's all by wisdom. Now, if we just look at the nature without a biblical worldview, without bringing God in the picture, if we just observe the nature, what can we make out? If we go to your forest and observe the behavior of the animals, what can we make out? What can we make out is we can say the survival of the fittest. If you have to only get wisdom from nature, there are limitations. I'm not saying we, we don't learn anything from nature, but there are limitations. We need to have a biblical worldview to understand the nature. But if without bringing God into the picture, and if we observe only the uh, wildlife, we will only learn survival of the fittest, destruction of others for self-preservation. That's what we see in the wildlife. That's what they, you know, in the textbook, you will come across this term, the law of the fang and the cloth. Uh, in other words, why, if we only observe the wildlife, it's quite violent. So it is important for us, though we observe all this, we have to bring all our observations under biblical worldview. And it is only by bringing all our observations under biblical worldview we gain wisdom. You know, Solomon says in Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Now, Solomon calls on his son to trust the Lord not his sayings per se. Why? Solomon is not saying that, 
you know, I've given you instructions. You just follow these instructions. It is enough. Solomon is not saying that. Why? You can unmute yourself when you can answer. Maybe because Solomon also knew that his wisdom is limited. Uh, his wisdom is limited. Uh, yes. Anything beyond that? We can go a little further. Because Solomon believes that God is the source of wisdom. God is the source. Yes. Now, now whatever sayings that we have in the book of Proverbs, they are only as good as the Lord who revealed them and inspired them. If these sayings were to be good, then it'll be good only if the Lord is good. If the Lord is not good, if the Lord is not powerful, if the Lord is not wise, if the Lord is not kind, if the Lord is far away from us, then these sayings are of no use. So in other words, uh, we need to know the Lord. That's the reason, trust in the Lord. It is not just we uh, read the sayings, we need to trust in the Lord. The extent to which the Lord is good, to that extent, the sayings are also good. Uh, having said that, that's about inspiration. I want to touch upon when we are talking about wisdom, we need to understand in the biblical world, how did they understand the human beings? Unless we understand that, it'll be very, it'll be difficult for us to understand this wisdom. Now, when they are giving wisdom, on what basis? Now, for example, uh, if you have a computer, you have a CPU and you have a power and you don't bring petrol into this. But if you have a car, you use, uh, petrol, gasoline, and uh, nowadays with electric cars. Now, each system requires a specific kind of energy or specific kind of input. Now, human beings are created beings. And how does Bible view human beings? It's very important for us to understand. Unless we understand how we are made, what are the important components in us? We will not be able to understand this wisdom. So it is important in the wisdom literature, how do they understand human beings? This is what we call as anthropology. Uh, you know, how do we understand human beings? Um, we, the first thing we understand is human perfections 
imperfections in the, is understood only in light of God's awesome perfection. We have been created perfectly well till sin entered. It is not that Adam sinned, we continue to sin like Adam. It is because of that, there is imperfection. And this we understand only when we come into the presence of God and when we see his perfection. The more we come into the presence of God, we understand how imperfect we are. Though we have been created so well, God said, very good. But what happened to this very good? Why are we struggling? You know, why do we struggle with our own inner being? And how do we say we are not fine? Because we know that we are, we are not supposed to be like this. We know we have been created in a glorious way, in a better shape. As human beings, our lives are not supposed to be like this. That's the struggle, existential struggle we have. And this we understand only when we come into the presence of God. And when we look at God, we know this God is awesome. He is not restricted by space, time. You know, he, he is not restricted by all this. So we know that God is all powerful. We understand our own limitations. And once we understand that limitations, that's what the psalmist says, says in 139, 7 to 10, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You know, we understand God is everywhere. He's so big beyond our comprehension. His wisdom is far higher than our wisdom. And I don't think we have to, you know, um, argue about that because we all accept that. Knowing fully well, this God is so superior to us. So the wise man is telling, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Depend on him because he's all powerful. He's powerful when days are good, when your days are bad. He's powerful. Trust in the Lord. That's the reason the wise man is saying that. And in general, people in general, they know that God is there and he's a big God and he's, his wisdom is higher than our wisdom. But people respond differently. Though they might say God is there, they, their response is different. You know, the, who are the wise people? The wise people are those who are righteous, who trust and obey God. They are the wise people. And who are the fools? The wicked deny and disobey him. They might say with the mouth, 
Yeah, I know there is a God, he's big, but he doesn't care for me, who cares about him? So the response of our heart is different. And that response will determine whether we are wise or wicked. But the wise man says, human responsibility and divine retribution, that's payback, revenge, whatever you say, are inseparable. It is not that, you know, we can say whatever we feel like. Every word that we speak, it will bring about blessing or punishment. This is very clear in the book of Proverbs. We can say God blesses or punishes us for our words and works. It is clear in the wisdom literature. Now, we are seeing about human beings and how human beings are described in the book of Proverbs. Now, what are the words that they use in the book of Proverbs to describe human beings? That'll be very important. How do they describe human beings? So in the book of Proverbs, um, the, the word that is being used to describe humankind is Adam. The Hebrew word is Adam. Adama is just simply man. That's it. So you find this word Adam occurs 44 times in Proverbs. And this word differentiates humankind, human beings from God. There is a clear differentiation between Adam and God. Human beings are just mortal on earth, created from mud, but God is in heaven. Totally different. Both are different beings, altogether in different categories. In wisdom books, it's very clear, man is separate from God. God is superior and man is just created beings. And once we recognize that we are created beings, we realize all our talents, our, our potential, everything, our limitations, everything has been determined by God. Don't extrapolate this to an extreme, saying that we don't have to make an effort to improve ourselves. I'm not saying that. You realize even after putting all the efforts, if you have to succeed, if you have to prosper, we need blessings from God. So we know there's a God who has created us, has a plan and purpose for all of us. And that's why I said that we have been created for eternity. We have not been created just for this world. Proverbs 11, say, 11, 7 says, when a wicked man dies, his hope perishes. All he expected from his power comes to nothing. 
in fact, if you read in the book of Psalm, it'll say the man who gathers his money, wealth, you know, he it'll perish along with him in this world. So a wicked man dies, his hope perishes. And then Proverbs 12.3 says, no one can be established through wickedness, but the righteous cannot be uprooted. So human beings have been made for eternity. Um, and Proverbs 16.1 says, to man belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. And Proverbs 16.9 says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. There's nothing wrong in planning, in making a plan. There's nothing wrong, but we need to realize ultimately it is the Lord who will have the final say. You know, we can think, we can ponder, we can receive inputs, we can plan, but we should remember that ultimately God will have the final say. We can make wise choices, but God is sovereign over our decisions. Are we required to make wise decisions? Yes, we're supposed to. We are asked to make wise decisions. But we should realize that God is sovereign over everything. The Lord establishes his steps. In other words, the Lord is seated on the throne. He is king. He is almighty God. We are only created beings. And the final say belongs to God. That's why Proverbs 24 says, a person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand their own way? We cannot. We cannot. Uh, so Adam has been created. Now, what should be his response? If these are the fact, if this is the way God has revealed himself, the response of Adam should be to commit his ways to the Lord. He should just commit his ways to the Lord. That's what Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. God will establish our plans. When something happens, we should realize it is God who has established that. Because God knows in and out of us. He searches us. He knows. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows our inmost being better than we know ourselves. So when we commit all, everything to him, he will establish our plans. Proverbs 15.11 says, death and destruction lie open before the Lord. How much more do human hearts? Proverbs 20, 27, the human spirit, in other words, a person's words, the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. This is the way Bible understands a human being. 
there is an inmost being in the man and god knows that very well and god blesses him or punishes him for the condition of his inmost being that is why in wisdom we have to take care of our inmost being you know you go to the doctor you will say heart is the most important thing you have to take care of your heart but when we come to god it is the inmost being is very important and whatever we do we speak it is all because of the condition of our inmost being and the wisdom literature the wisdom teaches us the biblical wisdom teaches us that we should take care of our inmost being and proverbs 8:34 says blessed are those who listen to me watching daily at my doors waiting at my doorway we are blessed if we listen to god because our innermost being will become healthy when we listen to god proverbs 12:14 says from the fruit of their lips people are filled with good things the work of their hands bring them reward it is words and work that's what we have seen that's what the proverb says proverbs 19:3 says a person's own folly leads to their ruin yet their heart rages against the lord right from genesis chapter 3 whenever something goes wrong the man always finds for somebody else to blame that's the human reaction we commit mistake things go wrong but our anger is against god wisdom is avoiding this so that we become wise so what's happening in this what are we doing why am i saying all this in the old testament if you are talking about a human being a human being is conceived as a psychosomatic unity very important for us to understand psychosomatic psycho is body uh, psycho is mind and soma is body uh, so you find a psychosomatic man is made up made up of mind and body there is a strict connection between mind and body now whenever this condition is disturbed when the when the harmony between mind and body is disturbed it is reflected in our bodily conditions uh there are so many sicknesses which come because of this disturbance when this harmony between mind and body is disturbed uh we there are so many conditions uh you can go and start on psychosomatic problems you it will just throw throw open so many things in a back a back ache head neck ache shoulder ache um, stomach problems headache migraine 
I'm not saying all, if somebody's having migraine, I'm not saying it's because of psychosomatic, but this is something that uh, it is biblical that when this harmony between mind and body are disturbed or they are not in tune, then it, is, it affects one's health. And it is, that's very important uh, that we are emotionally, we are healthy. And uh, we pay very little attention to emotions uh, because we pay very little attention to emotions it gets reflected in our bodily condition. I'm not saying that all sicknesses is because of psychosomatic problem, but many of the sicknesses are because of the psychosomatic problem, you know, like depression, like anger, like anxiety, stress, burnouts, all this can be attributed to psychosomatic problem. Uh, you know, you know, there are pastors who will say that, you know, you don't have to go for counseling, you don't have to take psychiatric treatment, uh, because they're not aware about this truth. Yes, they're, they're, they believe in God, but this Proverbs is, this, this is the word of God, and God is telling about how human beings have been made, how God sees us. He sees us as psychosomatic unity, mind and body. Who created this? God created. And whenever there is chaotic condition, then it gets reflected in our bodily functions. Uh, sometimes pastors, because they are not aware for anything and everything, they'll say, you are possessed by the evil spirit. We have to cast out uh, demons. They might not say, but they'll say you have to fast and pray. But that's not the way. There are times, yes, there is spiritual warfare. There are times, I'm not saying that, but there are times it is simple, simply understanding there is something, there is a disconnect between mind and body. That's biblical. So Bible gives us a lot of inputs to heal our psychosomatic. We, if, we can, if we can receive the word of God rightly, it will heal us mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and it will also heal us physically, and it will bring good health. So in the book of Proverbs, when we are talking about human beings, uh, the human beings are seen as, uh, human being is seen as soul, heart, and spirit. This is the way, Proverbs sees human being, soul, heart, and spirit. You must be wondering where is body in all this. So as we study this, you will realize where is body. You know, the way in the modern terminology we understand, the biblical worldview was different. In the biblical worldview, if you're talking about a man, they will say he's made up of soul, heart, and spirit. Now that is the struggle we have because we bring 21st century knowledge or our present day knowledge into the Bible and we try to understand and we cannot understand that rightly because first we have to understand their worldview and then we have to understand our worldview. Then only we'll understand the word of God and the word of God is there to bless us.
So the, by, the book of Proverbs sees a human being as soul, heart, spirit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your being, strength. So we need to understand what is meant by soul, what is meant by heart, and what is meant by spirit. So we'll go and see the word soul. Soul is nefe, nefe is that you will find in the Hebrew word. And this word occurs 56 times in Proverbs. Um, I told the word Adam occurs uh, 44 times and this word occurs 56 times. In the whole of the Old Testament, this word occurs 755 times. This Hebrew word occurs in the Old Testament 755 times and 56 times it occurs in Proverbs. Now the problem with this, when this word nepes uh, is translated in English, it is translated as soul. Now, what comes to your mind when you think of soul? Now, the Greek understanding of soul, or we bring that understanding into the Old Testament and then we go wrong because we think soul is probably the seat of life. So when a man dies, his soul has left him. That's the way we understand. He died, his soul has left him. But in the Old Testament, it has got altogether different meaning. So when we read the English Bible and we read soul and our understanding is only meant by, oh, the soul is there. When I die, my soul will go to God. But that's not the way Proverbs explains the word soul. In the Old Testament, when you come across this word soul, it refers to the passionate drives, passion. You know, it, it refers to appetites. It, it refers to passions like sexual drive, hunger. Soul means passionate drive. I'm hungry. So that's the Hebrew word nephes refers to that kind of passion. It's, it's the kind of sexual drive. That's referred to as soul. And love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. And once you understand what is meant by passion and God is asking us to love him like that. That kind of passion. And that's the meaning of the word soul. And that's what we find in the book of <clears throat> Proverbs, I'll give you a few examples because in, in the English Bible, the word that you see and in the Hebrew Bible, the word that we see is totally different. Now, Proverbs 6.30, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he's starving. There you find the Hebrew word soul. 
I'll tell you, this is the NIV translation, the KGV translation. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. Now, Proverbs 10.3, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thoughts the craving of the wicked. Let me give you the new uh, King James Version. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. Uh, in Deuteronomy 23:24, if you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all grapes you want at your own pleasure, but do not put any in your basket. All this, you know, in the, in the Hebrew Bible, you find the word soul, that kind of drive. So when once you understand this, you realize, am I loving the God with all my soul? I have so many desires. I know my desires. I know the passions with which I burn. But do I love my God with this passion? In 78, Psalm 78, 18, they willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. You find the word soul you know, in the Hebrew Bible. You know, a glutton. In glutton is called as Baal Nepes. You know, one who is the owner of appetite, hunger. That's the way the Bible describes a glutton. Uh, Proverbs 28, 25, the greedy. We call as greedy. The Hebrew Bible says, Rehab Nepes, stir up conflict. But those who trust in the Lord will prosper. When we talk about soul, it is the passionate desires. And then now we all can evaluate our inner being when we read, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Can I say that my drive for God surpasses all other drive or my desire for God is stronger than all other desires. If my answer is yes, then I can say I, I'm loving my God with all my soul. That is the meaning of the word soul. And a human being is known to love. A human being is required to love God with all his soul. And when we love God with all our soul, there will be harmony between mind and body. Anytime our desires go wrong, then there is psychosomatic problems, disorder. God did not create us like that. God has created us to love him. He loved us first. We in turn should love him. The next word that we see is heart. Now, the moment we say heart, we only think of our cardiologist. He will say your BP is high, BP is low, you have blocks, you have to go angioplasty, you have to undergo surgery. That's the way we understand our heart. That's our physical heart. But unfortunately, the Hebrew word heart has no proper 
English equivalent. That's a problem. We read the Bible in English language. We find the word heart. And then somewhere we think, oh, this is what heart means. So heart is most important anthropological term in the Old Testament. And as I said, English language has no equivalent. We saw the meaning of the word soul. Now we are looking at the word heart. Now this word occurs 46 times in Proverbs and 858 times in the Old Testament. Now, the ancient people or people in the biblical time, they attributed the bodily functions to the heart. Interesting. In other words, they said it is the heart which controls the functions of the body. That's the way they understood uh, in, in, in the biblical times. Uh, in 1 Samuel 25, 37 to 38, then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him. And he became like a stone. It is not talking about a heart failure. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. It's not talking about a heart failure. When Nabal's heart died, his body became like stone. He became paralyzed. He was not dead. And in Bible, when you talk about heart, it refers to the bodily functions, not only bodily functions like this, it also talks about our facial expressions. Heart refers to our facial expressions. In Proverbs 15, 13, it says, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. Not only the facial expression, it also talks about tongue. The tongue is controlled by the heart. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Heart is controlling the parts of the body, the facial expressions. It is controlling tongue and also other parts of the body. Because if you see in Proverbs 4, 23 to 27, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Heart controls our mouth. Heart controls our eyes. Heart controls our feet. A body is being controlled by heart. That's the way ancient people understood. So when we read the Bible, first we have to see how did they understand. Only when we understand that, 
then we can make it relevant for ourselves. Proverbs 6.18 says, a heart that devises wicked schemes. We quite often in the 21st century, we make plans in our head. We make plans in our head, but in the Old Testament, it is the heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil. All plans are being made in the heart. Can you think of one English word that combines your thinking, feelings, and doing? That's execution. In Hebrew language, we have the word heart. But in, in English word, we, in the English uh, language, we don't have one word to represent our thinking, feelings, and doing. So when we read, when we come across this word heart in the book of Proverbs, it is explaining all these aspects, our thinking, our feelings, and our doing. So heart, whatever we do, it is all attributed to the heart. So when we see the word heart in the Old Testament, there is a complex interplay of intellect, sensibility, and will. Above all else, guard your heart. So when we come across that proverb, above all else, guard your, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Out of the heart flows life. So when we read the proverbs, it means it refers to our intellect, our thinking, our senses, our emotions, and our will, our desires. All these are combined in that one word. And we know the Lord knows the heart. God knows our heart. That's the reason when we read Proverbs 17, 3, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. The Lord has his own way of testing our heart. And it will be something similar like a crucible, like a furnace. It is only when we go through that crucible, we will know our heart. In other words, God knows our heart even before taking us through the crucible. But God always takes his children through the crucible or through the furnace to reveal their heart condition to them. And God does it only for his children. It is not a punishment. It is a transformation. We should not avoid this. We should not, you know, welcome this. God in the right time will take his children through crucible, through the furnace, because God is constantly involved with his children. And it is only as he takes us through the crucible and through the furnace, he can purify us. 
He wants to make us more like him. He is so beautiful. He is beautiful beyond our understanding. He's so beautiful and we have been created to be like him. And that will happen only when the, when the dirt from us is removed. When the impurities from the gold and silver are removed, then it becomes pure and God does it for us. And it is in this process we experience all our emotions. Otherwise, we will not understand our emotions. That's why Proverbs 12, 25 says, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Proverbs 14, 10 says, every heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. So the heart is the place where one thinks, reflects, and ponders. Proverbs 24, 12 says, but if you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Now, the problem with us is, we know more about brain, but unfortunately the function of the brain was unknown in the Old Testament. They were not exposed to brain surgery. They were not exposed to these neurosciences, but God has revealed himself through their understanding. And we will understand God better. First, if we put ourselves in their place, and try to understand. As the eyes were meant to see and the ears to hear, the heart is meant to discern and prompt action. It is in the heart we plan. Proverbs 6.14 6, says, who plots evil with deceit? Deceit in his heart, he always stirs up conflict. Proverbs 6.18, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil. Proverbs 16.9, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So it is the heart where the inner decisions, the core decisions are made. So the heart is the place Biblical writers will say, if your heart is good, everything else will be good. Even our spiritual formation, our spiritual life will be good if the heart is good. It is in the heart we trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's what we see in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. If the heart condition is good, we will trust in God. It is in heart. God continues to work. So it is heart that represents the lowest physical desires like hunger, thirst, and also the high, the highest spiritual experience like awe, reverence for God. All this happens in our heart. And that's why in the book of Proverbs, we'll see the teacher will always warn the son. He will say, 
be careful. You know, this is the way he will warn his son against allowing his heart to cover the ultra's beauty. Take care of your heart, whereas you will fall prey to the ultra's 25. Don't envy sinners. Don't envy sinners. You will think that they are prosperous. Don't envy because do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. You know, the sinners will appear to prosper. They will have no challenges. Their health will be good. Their wealth, they'll prosper, but don't envy them. But be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15, 14, the discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. So it is important how we keep our heart, the spiritual condition of our heart, because it is in, if, our, if the heart condition is good, it will be wise. Wisdom reposes in the heart of the discerning. In other words, the wisdom rests in the heart of the discerning, Proverbs 14, 33. And heart is the place which has to be kept pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Proverbs 29 says, who can say, I have kept my heart pure. I am clean and with the same. And it is hard, you know, the perversity of man is also found. Proverbs 17, 20, one whose heart is corrupt does not prosper. One whose tongue is perverse falls into trouble. So it is the condition of the heart which determines our decisions, our actions. It is all our ethical actions, our spiritual actions. They all depend on the condition of the heart. So what is important is the sage, wise man's instruction must be memorized. We must memorize as many proverbs as possible, but it is not enough only we memorize it with religious affections, like soul, I said the passionate drive, like that we should retain it in our heart. That's why Proverbs 3.3 says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around, write them on the tablet of your heart. Just memory alone is not enough. That may be the first step, but that is not enough because Isaiah 29.13 says, the Lord says, these people come here to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. These are religious people, human rules they follow. Hearts are far from me. The problem with the heart is it can reject correction it can reject discipline. The more sensitive is our heart to correction and blame, we will be better. That's why Proverbs 5.12 says, you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. It rejected. Just outright any correction. You can always find that somebody is ready for spiritual growth. How do they take criticism? How do they take correction? 
and you can make out they are ready or not ready. If you want to grow in our spiritual life, we should be ready for this. We should embrace discipline. We should welcome discipline. We should not reject correction. If we do that, our heart will become hardened. We say Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It is not his heart. It is our heart. When we reject correction and discipline, our heart is no better than Pharaoh's heart. We might say how this man can be so hardened. In fact, it shows our own heart condition. Proverbs 28, 14. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. You know, when the heart becomes difficult, hard, it is difficult to teach. When you are religious, the heart is not sent for the leading of the spirit. That's why it's important we understand the gospel in, in its entirety. Gospel, it is the cross which transforms our heart. It is the cross which gives wholeness in our being, which gives healing in our body. It is the cross which makes our mind healthy. It is the cross which makes our heart healthy. So it is important we keep this heart in good condition. As the heart receives these teachings, the character of the whole, but the heart as a totality must let these forces enter it and determine its direction. Are we sensitive? Are we allowing correction? We have to allow the teachings, like as we are studying the Bible study, as I am preparing the Bible study, I have to allow this the teaching to change me. Otherwise, it's of no use. We are in the presence of God. As we are studying this book, we are in the presence of God because God is revealing himself in and through this word. And our heart should be moved. Let us not harden it. Let's not just receive it as a cerebral knowledge. Let it transform our inner being. Let it transform our emotions. It will be painful. When we are going through crucible, it's not going to be pleasant. But what will be beautiful. And that's God's plan for you and me. And heart is very important. And that's the reason Jesus said, that's the way Jesus understood heart. Not the way we understand that's the way Jesus understood. He said in Mark 7, 20 to 23, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Out of a person's that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, those things, they come out of a man's heart. Interestingly, the Bible says the eye and the and ear are gates to the what we see, what we hear are very important. The, you know, Proverbs 2 2 says, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to your understanding. Proverbs 4:21, do not let them out of your sight, keep them within your heart. Fools are fully accountable for their acceptance or rejection of the wisdom, of the wisdom instructions. 
of Solomon's teaching. That's why Proverbs 1, 29, 31 says, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. It is important, ears that hear and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. In other words, this book says that we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to choose the teaching. We don't believe in destiny, fatalism. It has all been written on my forehead. No, we don't believe in that. God is asking us to make godly choices. And we are responsible for making those godly choices. If our heart is good, we will make good choices, godly choices. So the heart condition matters. If our soul is good, we will love the Lord our God with all the drive that we have within us. We should keep our soul in good shape so that we love the Lord with all our desires. We should keep our heart in good condition so that we speak good things. We see good things. We hear good things. We go to the right places. If our heart is good, then we will, all these organs are taken care of. So the last part of the human being is spirit that we will see next week. This is the way wisdom literature understands a human being. Uh, if you have any doubts or any questions, Pastor, yes, sister. you spoke about the soul, you spoke about the heart and about the spirit. What did you say? We will see next week about spirit. Okay. Next Wednesday, we will will speak. Will I'll I'll teach on the word, word spirit. What spirit means? It is not the Holy Spirit. Spirit means what in the Book of Proverbs? Today, I've only talked about heart, soul, and heart. Any insights? Okay, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Glorious Father, thank you for creating us in your image. How wonderfully we have been made, O oh Lord. Brings back to that place where we will love you with all our heart, with all our soul. Give us that passion, O oh Lord, to love you not the things of the world, but to love you, O oh God, because you are so beautiful, wonderful. To trust in you at all times, because you have a plan for each one of us, a glorious plan 
that will last for eternity. Open our eyes, we will see you more and more. Bless each and every one of us. Keep us under your care, under your protection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, unfailing love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit remain each one of us now and forevermore. Amen.